Well, hello, welcome to Student Sunday. Uh, if you expected Brian, I'm sorry, it's me. Um, hello, my name is Emily. Um, I was hired about six months ago to be our high school pastor. And I have loved my time here. Thank you guys so much for trusting your kids with me, um, for trusting me in the lives of our students. Um, my family has really been blessed by grace, and I actually have a picture. If you haven't met me, you may not know me, but I've been married for about five and a half years to my husband, Caleb, um, the one in the green. And uh, we had our beautiful son, Abel, um, about 15 months ago. He just turned 15 months yesterday. Um, and I just want to thank you guys. Like, our family has just felt so loved um, by you all here. Even this morning, walking in, someone met me at my car and grabbed my son so I could be freed up to be here. And so I really appreciate you guys. Um, and today, we are going to be talking about Christmas, obviously. Um, but I would love if you would just turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 1, 26 through 38. And I'm going to pray while we're uh, turning there. So, Lord, I just thank you for today, God. I thank you for um, your kind presence, um, just the way that you nudge our hearts. And, Lord, I thank you for students. I thank you for breakthrough. I like, thank you for lives changing um, and for just sweet moments that you give our students. And, um, God, I pray that you would help us to focus on you today. Um, Lord, that you would help us to put away all the distractions, uh, that you would help us not think about our Christmas list or um, who we have to text back or what we have to do after this. But, God, that you would just give us some time to just center our hearts fully on you. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Luke 1, 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled, and then the angel left her. And so it's funny, as I was preparing for this message, our theme today is the theme of unshakable love, which is a very broad topic. I mean, God's love is a very broad topic. And um, I was talking with Brian, and I was like, I don't, I really don't know what to say. And he encouraged me, he said, read through the Advent story, read through the Christmas story, and see where you see yourself, see where you see God's love. And it instantly, as I was reading, almost like hit me in the face of Mary. Mary's absolutely where I see God's love. Um, and one of the things that I feel like is so true that I've seen in Mary's life and in my own life is that usually God's transformational moments of unshakable love come through what feels like unbearable pain. And I think that if we look at the life of Mary, we see that. In verse 28, the angel says to Mary, the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. And I think that we, we've read this story like once a year, right? And if you do Christmas in July, twice a year. Like you've read this story plenty of times. And you think to yourself, of course, Mary was highly favored. She carried the son of the, the living God. But I would invite you for a moment to maybe put away what you normally think about and, and change your perspective a little bit. An angel came to Mary and told her that she would be pregnant before she was married, while she was engaged to be married. This would most likely cause her um, to be an outcast. It would cause alienation, shame, 
embarrassment. I mean, when the angel came and said highly favored, she probably had a different scenario in her head of what she thought was going to happen, right? Instead, she set up for this prime time embarrassment and it showed everyone else almost. And I'm not saying that Mary resented this gift. In fact, we see quite the opposite in scripture. Mary is so thankful and she has a song that she's written beautifully to glorify and magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. She is so faithful and so honoring in this gift. But I think we would be a little bit naive to think that this was just all glory and honor and fun, right? Scholars believe that Mary was poor, and they also believe that she was between the ages of 14 and 16. How many of you have a 14 or 16-year-old girl, 14 through 16? Yes. How many of you could imagine that girl being pregnant? That, that would be scary. That would be very scary. Um, I know for me, I got pregnant at the age of 26 a year and a half ago, and um, two years and a half ago? It doesn't matter. And I remember it was, I, it, I, my brain is mush. Um, I was terrified. I mean, it was the most honoring and blessing experience I've ever experienced in my life. It created a new bond with the Lord that I never understood being a mother. But I could not imagine that at 14 years old, by myself, I would be terrified. And what I think we see in the story of Mary is that the Lord intervenes in these moments that we feel like are pain points or really painful or shameful. And the Lord intervenes in a way only he can in his goodness and love. And so I'd like to talk about where those uh, moments are. So if you turn with me to Matthew 1, verse 20, it says, But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is Joseph. Joseph is considering divorcing Mary in quiet because he was an honorable man, but he was engaged to be married to a girl that's pregnant. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Don't skip over this moment. This is a huge moment in Mary's life. She thought she was probably going to be walking this road alone. And in his kindness, the Lord intervenes in a way only he can do, and comes to Joseph and commands him to stay with Mary. And I think, I think about this and, and, and what that probably meant to Mary. I mean, that probably meant to her a lot. She knew when the angel came that this would costly like her, or co likely cost her her engagement, right? But now she has companionship. She has someone who will love her and care for her and hold her up in moments where she doesn't feel like she can hold herself. She has someone in her corner. She has someone who looks at her with joy and, and gladness when everyone else may look at her as a sinner. That would be a huge deal. The second time we see the Lord intervening in Mary's life is in Matthew 2, verse 7. Um, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So if, if you haven't read this story before, the Magi, which are the wise men, are on their way to see Jesus to worship him. And Herod manipulates the situation a little bit. Herod is the king at the time. And Herod pulls them inside and says to them, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. This is class A manipulation. Herod is not going to worship Jesus. If you haven't read this, let me help you. Herod is the bad guy in the Christmas story. Like he is the villain. And what he wants to do is to kill Jesus because Jesus is a threat to him. And then we see later in verse 12, and having been warned, this is the Magi, in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Again, we see the Lord 
completely intervene in the life of Mary, in the life of her child. And I know what you're thinking, well, yes, God saved the life of Jesus. But I would, for a second, how many of you in here are a mother? You are, you're a mother. Okay. You know what it's like to bear a child. And there is something that happens in your spirit, in your soul. And it's this like ferocious protectiveness. I did not understand it. It came out once and I didn't know it was going to come out after I had my son. I did not know what to expect. They call us mama bears. There is a reason we are called a mama bear. Mary was probably a mama bear. And no one was going to touch Jesus unless they went through her first. At least three times. She was going to put up a fight. Do you know I mean? This is her son. This is the person she does, loves more than anything. This is her own child. And so if, the mat, uh, if Herod's coming to kill Jesus, they're going to have to go through Mary. So not only did the Lord absolutely protect Jesus as a baby, but protected his family. Because they would have also tried to protect him. <clears throat> In verse 13, we see the third time of the interventions. Um, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So what's happening, and, and God is warning Joseph and saying, flee, get out of here. You need to leave. Because when the Magi don't come back to Herod, Herod is a king who has a lot of power, and he gets angry. And does something that, I guess, an angry king would do. And he decrees that they're going to kill all of the male children in Bethlehem and its vicinity to and under, which is devastating if you think about it. I could not even imagine that time. But in his kindness, in his goodness, the Lord again intervenes and saves the life of Mary and saves the life of Jesus. But it doesn't come at a cost. I'm sure that felt like unbearable pain to Mary, right? I mean, imagine with me for a second. You're a 14-year-old girl. A poor girl. And an angel comes to you and is saying that you're favored. Probably you think there's a blessing that is coming your way, right? When I think a blessing, I would be like, oh, I'm going to have a lot of children or have a lot of livestock. Or maybe I'll get rich. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that would be a pretty good assumption. And instead, she finds herself pregnant, having a child in a barn with animals, which is not awesome. Um, and then also fleeing for her life multiple times. And I think if I were Mary in this situation, I would be like, I don't really know about that favored part. Like, I feel like, no, I feel like something's off here. Because my life has felt like a, an uphill battle, and I'm not even 20 yet, you know. I feel like I'm, I am constantly having to fight my way and run through wall and wall and wall. And I think this is where I felt the resonating with my story with Mary. See, I've seen the Lord come through for me in ways that I never thought were possible. I only thought I would read about, I only thought I would hear about, but I never in my, any imagination thought I would experience. And I think one of the beautiful parts of Mary is she stayed so faithful for, through this journey. I could not even imagine. I know I did not. Um, what an amazing woman. But also at the same time, I, I feel like the Lord, when I was reading this story, just intertwined and, and drew out parallels that I never saw that were there. And so if you guys would allow me, I'd, I'd love to share for you with you a little bit of what the Lord has taught me through my story, through these parallels, through the things that I've walked through, um, why that has grown my heart for student ministry, why I care so much about your kids and the kids of the next generation. Um, and so I grew up as a pastor's daughter in North Carolina. Um, I make this joke that, like, I've lived as much time in the walls of the church as I have outside of the walls of church. And I'll tell you honestly how I know that. I was eight and I had, like, the flu or something and a 102-degree fever, which is not casual. Like, that's a pretty big fever. And my parents stuck me in the church library. Like, 
with a blanket and the door closed and the light off. Like, I mean, it was fine. Um, <laughs> my parents are amazing people. My dad's an amazing pastor. My mom loves and cares for people so well. And I think that people knew them while I was growing up, and they, they may have judged me um, and assumed things of me. They assumed that I knew the Bible. They assumed that I believed truths about God that maybe I didn't actually believe. They assumed that my life had probably been pretty easy uh, comparatively because my parents probably protected me from a lot. But actually, my life was not always the easiest. When I was young, when I was a young child, I was abused by someone outside of my immediate family. And it was unbearable pain. And then I went up into middle school, and I carried that baggage with me, and I found myself grappling at anything just in this huge, insecure time, trying to find anything that could make my worth feel like, I don't know, like I was worth anything. Unbearable pain. And then I get into high school, and I just started choosing very destructive paths um, and very abusive and toxic relationships. Unbearable pain. And I just remember spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. And when I was 16, my friends came to me and said that they didn't want to be my friend anymore because of these huge highs and lows that I was feeling. You know, one minute I'm crying, the next minute I'm laughing. And, you know, I'm, I'm just a mess. I'm processing through emotions that, honestly, no 16-year-old should be have to process through. Um, and no one knew what was happening behind the scenes. And so I felt abandoned. I felt abandoned by my church because my friends went to that church I felt abandoned by my family, not because of my family, but because I didn't feel good enough to be part of my family. And I felt abandoned by God because it didn't, how was his love, how was anything of the Lord going to fix what happened in me? Like, there's no time machine. There was nothing that we could go back and just put a band-aid on it. And it was in that moment that my mom, my mom calls me into her room, and if you're a student or a kid, you know what that means when your mom calls her and you into her room. Usually it's not great. She was like, Emily, I've been having dreams. And I was like, great. Um, and she, what, what she, I didn't say is at this point, after feeling all these things I had felt and in that spiral, I started making very reckless decisions. Um, reckless decisions that would probably cost me my life. Reckless decisions that I'd hoped would cost me my life. And my mom pulls me into her room and she was like, I've been having dreams. And I was like, okay. And she was like, I've been having dreams of these things, of literally the things that I was doing, which is, wow. It was almost as if the Lord picked me up and like looked at me and was like, you are very small and like put me back in my place in that moment. Just complete world stopping moment. And she was like, and I just feel like I've been needing to pray for you. And that's what she said. And I would love to tell you that even in that moment of unshakable love that I never expected to experience, that my life changed, I, I still kept spiraling in pain. It was a changing moment for me, but I still kept spiraling in pain. And then I was like 17 or 18, and I started interning at a church. And I met this woman named Donna. And Donna was like in her 50s or 60s. And um, we bonded. I was like a 17-year-old girl. My best friend was a 50-year-old woman. It was sweet. Um, I don't know. It was weird. But it, it was honestly the best thing that could have happened to me. She pulled me under her wing. She took me out to dinner and to lunch. And she would be like, just tell me what you're feeling. And I would talk for hours, legitimate hours, because I was a 17-year-old girl and I could talk for two hours straight. I still can, but I could then for real. And she had so much patience with me. 
I mean, it was like she quite literally held me up beside her and let, me, let her carry me when I felt like I couldn't stand on my own two feet. I mean, I borrowed Donna's faith in many, many moments. She was my refuge. She was the person I told everything to, things I still haven't told people today. Donna was that person for me. And it made me think about the story of Mary, how when God went to Joseph and gave him a dream and told him to stay with Mary. That's a very small detail, but I'm sure it made a lot of difference for her. I could not imagine my life if Donna had not been there. It would not be the life that it is today. And honestly, I think that we can all sit in this room and think that we're very different, like adults and students. We feel separate. We have a student Sunday to highlight students, but we're not very separate. We're very alike. We all walk through moments of unbearable pain. Some students, you may have not walked through it yet or you're just starting to. Most adults in here, I would argue you have a story of where you felt like the weight of the world was way too heavy on you and God's love had no way to rescue you, but you saw his goodness and his grace and his kindness. The cool thing about God's goodness and kindness is our brain cannot comprehend it, not even the tip of it. God's goodness way outweighs our definition of good. God's kindness way outweighs our definition of kind. God's love, I mean, I can't even say the sentence. It so outweighs our definition of love. And at the same time, just like that, I think there are people in here, 14-year-olds and 40-year-olds, and, and we all have the same responsibility. God is calling us to a next step in obedience. Actually, Brian talks about this a lot, and I don't have a ton of time to go into this concept, so find him. Um, he would love for you to keep him here for a couple hours talking about it today, I'm sure. You should. Um, he talks about Kairos moments, and he says, what is God saying to you, and what are you going to do with it? And I think for all of us, we might be in the midst of a Kairos moment. What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do with it? Because I think as adults, we can sit in a room like this and think, student ministry sounds great. I'm glad they're doing that. I'm glad they have their own building, and they can go over there and do that, and I would love if that would just stay a little bit separate for me. Like, ugh. Especially middle schoolers, sometimes people are like, oof, I just don't know if I could, you know. I hear this all the time. I'm like, hey, do you want to serve with students? People are like, mm, <laughs> you know. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, I think a lot of us sit in here and we're like, we're kind of, we feel irrelevant, right? Like, you can barely work your iPhone. Or like, you put a, a, a Facebook messenger thing and you end up tagging someone on their wall. Like, you don't know what this is. You've seen TikTok on the news. Like, you don't even know what the app looks like. You know what I mean? Like, you feel irrelevant. But let me tell you. Donna was a six-year-old woman who didn't even know how to text me back on her flip phone. <laughs> really. And she made the biggest difference and impact on my life. You do not have to be relevant to this world to be relevant to someone's life. That is a lie. Our students need someone that will love them unconditionally. Someone that will watch them walk away and make a mistake and will pray like crazy in their prayer closet. And then when they come back, will open their arms and accept them. And will not judge them. Our students need real community. They have phones, but they don't have community. Our students need the wisdom of the elders in our church. Students need your wisdom. And if I could for a second, parents, I'd love to talk to you. I don't know what it's like to parent a teenager. Um, but I can tell you right now that there are parents in here that are praying and pleading on the feet of Jesus for their children. Maybe you're a mother or father and you feel like you've lost your child, like they're a prodigal son. Maybe you're just watching them maybe stray away and walk into destructive habits. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe you're feeling hopelessness. 
And I would just ask you to don't stop. Please do not stop pleading at the feet of Jesus on behalf of your children. I am a product of constant and steadfast prayers of my mother. If my mom had not obeyed that prompt in her bedroom in the middle of the night when she woke up having dreams about me, I would not be standing here. I'm very confident of that. Very confident of that. Please do not stop praying for your children. If you feel like you're hitting a wall, please do not stop asking someone to help you pray for your child. And students, come back. Um, if I could go back in all of the time all, and do anything differently, I would tell my mother what happened when I was a student. I would talk to her. And if I couldn't talk to her, I'd find an adult to talk to. And I didn't. I, you know, it's funny. In my 20s, early 20s, I started talking to my mom. I told her everything that happened, and we both wept. Like, very, very, like, wept. It was ugly crying, but a beautiful moment of restoration that the Lord gave me. And we cried because not only was I walking through pain in the season, she was walking through pain in that season watching me. So, like, it's not all about us. Our parents are feeling it, too. And also, we wept because my mom could have saved me from some of that pain if I just had opened up my mouth and told her. But I was scared of getting in trouble. I was scared of getting judged. I was scared she was going to call my friend's parents and tell them what was happening. And I can tell you right now, those details feel very, very, very insignificant now. And if you are a student in here, and you don't have a parent that pleads at the feet of Jesus for you, please come see me because I'd love to find you a spiritual mother or father that would. We have plenty of people sitting in this room that would love to pray for you. And if you don't think that you're finding that at your home, we will find it for you. I have to say, I, the Lord has done such a healing, healing work in me, two times, three times, 40 times over. I mean, the woman that I am today, I never imagined. I didn't even imagine I'd be standing here, much less in a church. <laughs> um, but there are students that are walking through the same thing right now, that are sitting in this room and feel like no one sees them. We see you. They need you. And the thing that I hesitate to say, but because Brian got mad at me when I told him, my, my mom and Donna don't know this. And she'll know this if she watches it. Um, they don't know. They literally threw down seeds and just prayed they would, they would take root somewhere. And then 10 years later, here I am. I mean, I could not imagine what it would have been like if Donna had just given up and said, you know what, she just doesn't seem like she gets it. So I'm just not going to waste my time. I, you know, I have a really busy life. I have kids. I have social commitments. And I just feel like we're not getting a lot of traction, you know, on these dates. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to lessen them. Could you imagine what would have happened to me if she had gone back to the busyness of her life to be more convenient? The Lord absolutely wants to use each and every one of us. And I think it's beautiful, this story of Advent and, and we talk about Advent and we talk about remembering, but it is so much more than remembering. It's so much more. This is happening right now. This story of Mary and Joseph and, and the interventions that the Lord does, this is happening right now in our lives. The same God that rescued through his love a girl 2,000 years ago is the same God that rescued me through his love 10 years ago. And the same God whose love is available to you today. It is yours for the taking. And so I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to continue in our moments of worship together. But 
I want to challenge you guys to reflect with the Lord for a little bit. And I'm not trying to, like, bully you into serving in student ministry. That doesn't have to be it. I mean, you can serve with NG3. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But that doesn't have to be it. Like, the Lord is absolutely saying something to you in obedience. Every person in here has a next step to what is obedient for what the Lord is asking. And what I would say is I would reflect, where are you walking through right now that feels like unbearable pain, that you feel like you're trudging through quicksand, and you need a rescue of God's unshakable love? And maybe this is the spot where God wants to show that to you. Maybe you in here are the manifestation of God's love for someone else. Maybe you had a prompt from the Lord that you didn't listen to two weeks ago, and you need to go fix that. Maybe, maybe the Lord's stirring something in your heart to pray a certain way for your child or someone else's child. You may be somebody's Donna. You may be somebody's Joseph. You could be my mom. Literally kicking yourself, watching your child walk into pain and hurt and heartbreak and feel like you can do nothing about it and you can do something about it. You can pray for the hand of God to be, turn on their life and to pull people into their life. So I invite you, we're gonna, we're gonna continue and there um, there's a prayer team here and they're gonna come up, I guess, on these walls. Um, yeah, and... Uh, what I would like to say is if you're a parent and you feel like you are hitting a wall and like you're praying for your kid and nothing's happening, you don't have to pray alone. If you're someone that's walking through unbearable pain, you don't have to pray for that alone, whether you're in middle school or you're retired. We have people here that want to connect with you. And if you're a student, I just want to say this and it might be a little harsh. If you're a student and you feel like you want to close everything up and push everybody else, stop. Stop it, please. The sake of your soul is way, 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 way too important. Maybe you need to get in trouble. Maybe you need to tell your parents. It's fine. I promise you they're going to love you. And I promise you, you probably won't be in that much trouble. You may just need to tell them something. Stop looking for your worth out in the world. It's not there. Stop looking for your worth on TikTok. It's not there. Newsflash. You're not going to find it through other people. You can only find it through the love of Jesus. And we have people here that want to usher you into that love. So please come pray with us. And we have communion right here and here. Um, sorry, that was not very descriptive. Uh, the front on the stage. Um, and maybe for you, this is a moment of you taking your spouse or your child and praying over your children with communion. That could be a beautiful moment of surrender. Or maybe it's you taking communion and processing through where you're feeling pain right now. Or maybe you're just feeling apathy. The Lord probably wants to work through that too. Maybe he wants to take you out of a stance of apathy and throw you into a stance of obedience like a warrior. And so I'd ask you, please don't skip over this moment. Ask the Lord where he wants to move. And I'd love to pray for you while we do that. And so God, I thank you so much for your love, for your unshakable love, for your kind love, and for the love we don't deserve. And Lord, I thank you that you loved me enough to save me. God, I pray for our students. Lord, would you just shake something up in them? Would you help them to talk for hours and cry with their parents and with Donna's? Lord, I pray for our parents. Would you just minister to their heart? God, would you put someone in their life to tell them they're actually doing a good job? Would you have these Kairos moments with our students and parents? Would you bring connection among our church and help it not to feel like we're students and we're adults, but we are the church? so, so kind. In 
it almost feels foolish to waste my breath on talking about how kind you are because there's no way I could understand it, but you're so kind. And so, God, I pray that today you would be with us, that you would give us a word. It's in your name we pray. Amen.